love will raise And then you know you're a kind And you don't have to be afraid Of anything Cause you know You know the truth and the truth The truth is love Yes it is Doesn't what they said to you Or anything that you learn From a book or from news It's not like that Cause it's a thing It is something that you do Welcome to the baseline, everyone. Anoush Tertalian is a wonderful human being. She is my friend. She is an environmental activist. She is a human rights activist. And she is a proud Armenian and an outspoken advocate for the Armenian people. She is an Artsakh war veteran. And she is here today to educate us about a human rights crisis that is one of the most brutal yet underreported in the world today. How are you today, my friend? Thank you for joining us here on The Baseline. Well, Jeremiah, I, I just am so thankful for your existence and educating people on all kinds of bad chemicals and how the world needs to have more human rights and everything. So I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And it's an honor to have you. And um, yeah, where do we start this conversation? I want to say, first of all, um, we had Ryan Christian on a few weeks ago from The Last American Vagabond, and he's been doing amazing coverage of the atrocities going on in Palestine. And as that atrocity has been playing out before the world, it occurred to me, where are the hell on earth locations on the planet? Because some things get publicized and some things don't get publicized. And it actually reminds me of an important text by Noam Chomsky, when Noam Chomsky was lucid, as my last guest, Mark Crispin Miller, said so uh, poignantly. But Noam Chomsky was the author with co-author Edward Herman of a book called The Political Economy of Human Rights, I believe is the title. And in that book, he outlines three types of bloodbaths. He talks about heroic bloodbaths, or constructive bloodbaths, I think was the term he used. Constructive bloodbaths are our heroic actions of imperialism, um, meaning us, meaning the U.S. government. Nefarious bloodbaths are the bloodbaths carried out by our official enemies. And then there are all sorts of benign bloodbaths happening all around the world, which are things that just don't fit into our immediate political uh, political framework in terms of the, the exigencies as determined by the U.S. government and, first of all, the U.S. military. And it seems to me the conflict in Armenia seems to perhaps fall into that category. It's just simply not discussed. It's a non-event to news consumers who consider themselves quite astute, quite erudite in their thought process, yet they're unaware of enormous facts and enormous atrocities that are occurring on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but before we get into the discussion of Armenia, and we have the perfect guest for that discussion, my friend Anoush, I want to touch on our running theme, which is the medical freedom conversation. And uh, people ask me all the time, what was it like in New York during the lockdowns? And uh, it wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't uh, something that I will recall fondly. I call New York Vaccineville. 
I will never get over the fact that I was locked out of civil society because of my choice to not take an experimental medical intervention. I couldn't perform on stages. I couldn't go into a restaurant lawfully. Actually, I didn't tell anybody on the airwaves here, but I was actually kicked out of the village chess shop. Um, what actually it used to be the village chess shop and it's become another gaming place. And it was ironic because I used to work at that place and to be kicked out by some college kid uh, because I didn't have the proper papers, meaning my vaccine passport was um, something that belonged in a in a movie. It was almost a, a sitcom type of situation, but not very funny. So just from your perspective, Anush, before we get into the heart of our discussion for today, can you just give people a little bit of your perspective about the biosecurity state and some of the tyranny that was imposed over our city? Well, first of all, I think that vaccine was definitely developed uh, to take away people's freedoms. And I think that um, if you look at the oligarchs and uh, corporations that control this world, one of the things they want to do is separate people so that people cannot organize and fight for their rights or even know their rights. And so um, this whole vaccine thing was perfect for these tyrants because, um, oh, my God, it could separate people. You're wearing a mask, and, and I'm not. Or I, you know, to be afraid of people, to dehumanize people. Oh, I don't want to be next to you. God knows what. And, mm -hmm. and I think this is, this is to have it for that long, and it's like part of the whole dehumanization uh, program of um, you know, what What these uh, corporations and oligarchs want to do is they want to introduce uh, artificial intelligence, you know, to, to replace human beings in so many ways. And, and so the first step was to, to make it so that there was a human being that you had to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. And I think that they succeeded in that. And I... I, I, I feel very sad that uh, a lot of kids are being raised now and they don't know what the meaning of, let's say, privacy is or, or even interaction, you know, helping somebody. Or if you see somebody, just don't walk by, you know, help them. That's the whole point of humanity is small acts of kindness. And, and then with this, uh, you know, lockdown, and it, it just generated high, high levels of uh, separation and fear. Right. Well, you made some great statements right there, and I, I, I thank you for that because I think that's a really underappreciated element of what we experienced in terms of the impact of making people afraid of each other. I mean, what could the ruling class enjoy more than that? The whole power of the people is to get together and organize. If they're scared to be together, well, there you go. They're not going to be undermined. We, we won't be able to stand up as a collective body because we're too scared to be around each other. Um, that is uh, pretty, um, pretty serious, I would say, if we're afraid to be together as a community, as a human race. And uh, now we're going to get into the discussion of this issue of the Armenian genocide. But before we get into the atrocities that have been occurring, I want you to, as well as you can, and it's, uh, it's not an easy task, I have to say, because I've been trying to prepare for this show. And the history of Armenia is so detailed and intricate. I mean, I'm sure every ethnic group has a rich history, but because of the geographic 
predicament because of the situating of, of Armenia and Armenian people and culture, it's really at this incredible and intense crossroads between Europe and Asia. Apparently, it's just been subject to just several empires over the over the centuries. It's a very complicated history, but as well as you can, in five, ten minutes, however long you need, give us an introduction to Armenian culture and history, if you could. Armenia is one of the most ancient nations in the world, uh, and it has a history of also being one of the most conquered nations, because it's at the crossroads of all these gigantic empires. And it's actually situated in the Anatolian plain, and that is a whole area that, if, if you've ever heard of Mount Ararat, that is our sacred mountain, and, and all the rivers that flow, there's a lot of rivers that flow, and one of the original names of our land was Nairi, which means land of rivers. And it's very interesting how the, we're indigenous. We are descendants of the Uratur people that were there 6th to 8th century BC. And, and we carry a lot of um, spirit animals and perseverance. In the beginning, we were nature, nature worshipers. We would tie blessings on trees if someone got sick. We would uh, have sacred fountains to appreciate that water because that water has the same memory as when the planet began. So it, it includes everything. And we also uh, worship the moon and the sun and acknowledge that we came from uh, the Orion star. And that was very important to, to um, be in connection with our star origins. And we had a beautiful um, Karahunj, which was a, a stone observatory, you know, 10th century old, where people could acknowledge the changes in nature. And so being on the crossroads of this area, you know, we were invaded by so many different peoples, the Mongols, the Selgic, the Romans, the Persantians, the Persians, the Syrians, the Kurds, the Turks, the Seljuks. I mean, it was just constant. Who invaders? <laughs> 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 no, I, and and you know, for me, uh, I I just am so proud. Like I I went to um, this region of Armenia called Artsakh. I'd never ever heard of it. When I I went to UC Berkeley and. Um, the Armenian Students Association put an exhibit in the library of the genocide, and the Turkish consulate called the uh, school up and said, take it down. And my school took it down. This is in the 70s. So we, we put the photos in the plaza and this, you know, bones, skulls. Student comes by and says, how could you make this up? And I, I'm like, what? We didn't make this up. And, and I got so angry, I took all the photos and made a flyer and a thousand copies and plastered them all over Berkeley. And this was the beginning of my life as an Armenian activist. And then I realized that, um, you know, nobody was talking about the Armenian genocide. You know, what had happened is by the time it got to the, the you know, 20th century, the Turks uh, 
the Ottoman Turks had decided to exterminate all the Armenian people because they had just lost the war in the Balkan and a lot of people were coming back and, and you know, they just wanted to steal homes and everything we had. And so... Um, you, you were know, a Christian minority, correct, in general? Well, I don't like that word minority. Neither do I. I, I think we were the conquered indigenous majority. And, and okay. I, you know, uh, for me... You know the nation in 301 converted to Christianity, which um, you know. It's another historical matter. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know they certainly paid for that. Uh, but the thing is, is that that's who we ended up. You know, and and so you know there was uh, a feeling to um, destroy all Christian things, and also, you know, the Turks were just so cruel. I mean herding villagers into the village square, putting hay over them and burning them alive, and we're just watching them burn for three days and, and you know, um, cutting off the nipples of women, making necklaces, you know, just like um, the American soldiers did in, um, you know, th that they did the same things. Um, and and just that, that whole evilness of not feeling the pain of someone's head you're cutting off or, you know, the, the cruelties of, um, you know, playing ba football with babies and seeing how many you could get on your sword, you know. Mm. I mean... Unbelievable levels of cruelty and torture. Yes, and and the best book on this, which I highly recommend to everybody... Always uh, have your pen and paper ready when the baseline comes <laughs> on, guys. You have homework to do after every show. So what is this book that we're going to uh, purchase okay. and look into? Um, okay, it's called... Um, the Armenian Genocide, uh, Eyewitness Testimonies. Uh, it's by Virginie, V-E-R-J-I-N-E, Sylvastian, S-V-A-Z-L-I-A-N. And, and she's written you know, several books on um, the sur survivors' testimonies, but this one took her 55 years to write. Wow. And, you know, in my family, they hid the genocide. Nobody... I didn't even know about it. I was raised in an assimilated Armenian family where no one taught me anything about language, history, or culture. And it wasn't until I went to UCLA and I'm looking in the the library and, and then I see this thing, and, and then it was called massacres because you weren't allowed to use the word genocide. And I'm like, what is this? And I go home and I say to my mom, how come you never tell me about this? And she goes, oh, well, it's too sad. Well, yeah, it's a strategy of survival in a way. And then meanwhile, it. she had put me in this Zionist neighborhood where I was discriminated against day and night. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and had to listen to this stuff over the most intelligent people in the world. So one day I say to the math professor, if you are all the most intelligent people in the world, how come I got the highest score in the math test? <laughs> so I, I had to consistently, you know, uh, be aggressive and fight for my rights. And even in the chess club, you know, I walked in there and they looked at me like, uh, and so they had a pyramid thing. So this guy said, okay, I'll play with you. And he was the president. And he, he acted like women can't play chess or something. So he wasn't paying attention. And I won. And I ended up on top of the pyramid for a day. Wow. So, so. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, so it's those kinds of things. I want to mention quickly, because I, I don't want to forget to mention that my favorite contemporary chess player is the Armenian grandmaster Levan Aronian. I just love his style and I love his game. So shout out to Aronian 
if you don't know him, uh, he's a, a living legend of the game and certainly one of the greatest players of all time. And of course, there was the Armenian world champion, Petrosian, uh-huh. who was known for his just very elegant style, a very admired. I mean, all of the world champions of chess are just, uh, you know, they're sacrosanct to the game. But Petrosian had a, had a style and a flair about his play that everyone admired. Yes, and um, hmm. so so Armenia is a patriarchal culture. That's the other thing. Is that um, okay? So that's not surprising, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I. So anyway, I'm at UC Berkeley, and um, who else is going to UC Berkeley? This guy named Monty Malconian who organized the exhibit to to protest taking the photos out of the library. And so then, one day, I'm in bed with my lover. And they turn on the TV, and it's um, the Armenian earthquake in 1988. And I'd never seen um, real-life Armenians like that on TV. And I was like, wow, I have to go there and help. And so um, I applied for a visa and everything, but I didn't know that they didn't like Americans and didn't really want to. (laughs) So it took me a while to get to my own homeland. And then when I finally got there, I had no idea that there was a war going on because the American press doesn't cover this. Not at all. Not at all. And and so I'm in the youth hostel, and this guy, you know, Monty, comes up to me and says, oh, um, I see you know how to make videos. Can you help me? <laughs> and who am I to refuse to help anybody? He says, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, it turns out that he was in the Armenian secret army then. And, you know, we had um, the Armenian secret army because the UN would never acknowledge the Armenian genocide. Nobody cared. And so they started actually to get attention, a terrorist group. And they were like killing Turkish officials. But anyway... Um, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, he had come there because there was this region of Armenia called Artsakh, which the Soviet Union, you know, like um, had given to Azerbaijan in 1918. You know, um, Stalin had did that. And why did they do that? Because Azerbaijan has oil. Mm-hmm. And, um, who, you know, at that time, England... Uh, you know, was like in cahoots with Azerbaijan to kill Armenians to to get that land to have the oil and and Stalin like wanted to control the area, so he just gave part of Armenia to Azerbaijan. Even though twenty thousand Armenians were killed protesting it, uh, England sent a message. Well, you know, uh, we'll just kill all of you unless you agree to this, because by that time. There's only 150,000 Armenians left in Artsakh, that region. Mm. And these were the bravest mountain people that will, you know, had retained their indigenous hospitality and their indigenous, you know, um, sharing and caring. And um, Those are always the victims, right? The people who have their human decency <laughs> intact. It's like they're not anticipating the level of deception mm-hmm. and the level of inhumanity that, that exists. I know. So in 19- I think that was the downfall <laughs> of Africa and a lot of indigenous cultures in general, not understanding. John Henry Clark talks about that, having never encountered a person who would rape the wife and, and murder the host. Yeah, it, definitely. So anyway, in 1988, the Soviet Union declared perestroika. Um, Armenians of Artsakh declared their 
wanting to have independence and self-determination. So in Azerbaijan, in the capital of Baku, the Azeris went to every Armenian apartment, broke down the door, threw Armenians out window, raped women, and and that, that was in 88, and it started the um, Armenian Artsakh liberation struggle because uh, people were protesting. And um, millions of people were like on the streets in, in, uh, around the world for the liberation of Artsakh. And so I got there, you know, um, this guy took me there. He said, oh, I said, okay, I'll go with you. And, and I had no idea of what was happening. And I go to the visa office, and this guy says, oh, you shouldn't go with him. There's a contract out on him. Hmm. And I said, That's scary. I said, well, I'm not worried about that. I have many problems, but, you know, I know I'm going to be 94. So mm-hmm. um, I, I went there, and I'd never seen a war. We, the, they're shooting at us in the helicopter, and we land, and the children run up to me and say, are you a boy or a girl? And I said, well, I'm a girl. And they go, how did your parents give you permission to come here? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, I was living with the soldiers, and nobody told me they didn't want a woman there. And why? Because they couldn't run around in their underwear or do you know, what they wanted. So then the first battle is starting, and I say, oh, is this it? No, go back to sleep. And one day comes, wait, come on, get up. And, and then they put us in this big truck, and we go to this mountain in the middle of nowhere, dump us out. And the guys all run ahead and abandon me. Little did they know <laughs> that I used to um, go camping by myself on Route 1 and Big Zero and all the time. So I'm used to walking around in the dark. And so I see in the distance two campfires, and I wonder which one's the enemies, which one's ours. And I finally make it. And then, um, you know, they're, they're so prejudiced against women sometimes. They said, oh, well, just go stand behind that tree. And I said, I'm not here to stand behind a tree. I'm here to videotape, you know, this because I'm here to help you guys get supplies, to send this, to show how you have no decent shoes or binoculars or whatever you need. Mm -hmm. And so then, um, anyway, that's how I I entered this war. And and I'd never seen so many headless bodies in my life and body parts. And and so- um, That's pretty traumatic. Yeah, and then I decided, you know what, I guess I just have to stay here and help. Wow. So I stayed for off and on eight years. Oh and I, and, and I there was st- conflict throughout? Yes, you know, as a woman, as a woman, um, let's see, I was attacked, I was robbed, I was, you know, if you, you know, sometimes they just, the male thing is that, um, you know, they deserve what you have. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't easy you know if you're a woman with an organization or a name or it's a whole different situation but being on my own um, but I I realized that um, you know self-defense is armed self-defense is one of the few things that indigenous people have to protect themselves because every indigenous person in the world right now is They've just mapped the whole thing out. These mining companies, you know, these chemical companies. What resources do you have? We're going to take it and just kill you and take it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Artsakh, we, you know, the struggle I was in, we won because, um, you know, it was automat to automat, and and we were smarter. <laughs> anyway, uh, we actually won that war because in every family, someone you know, was sacrificed to die for that land. And so that was like, um, 
you know, in the 90s, and uh, there was a ceasefire in 94, and then there was the independent Republic of Artsakh. We finally had our own government where we could make our decisions, and, and we didn't have to, you know, uh, pay off people in Azerbaijan. And so, um, but the problem was, is that, uh, you know, Armenians, because they went through that genocide, that heavy one, you know, women are walking naked through the streets, you know, they've been sheltered all their lives, and all of a sudden, you know, they're just, um, and and men being raped in front of their kids, and, you know, the whole nation had a lot of intergenerational trauma. I know my own grandmother never told me that she was kidnapped by the Kurds and was a sex slave in a Turkish harem. I never learned that until I was really, really old, and my mom, you know, you know, like, and 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 I look at uh, different freedom struggles, and and I decided that my job was to be a a bridge between um, other freedom struggles and the Armenian freedom struggles, since nobody knew about us. If we knew about them and could connect us, so I would do things like. Um, I would write a lot of poetry. I wrote this poem about South Africa called Dull Thud. And what it's about, it's about this woman who's being given a diamond ring. And then um, meanwhile, um, you know, her, her, her husband is having affairs with all these people. And, and she's like looking at the diamond ring in the end. And, and, and the reason I wrote this poem is because I wanted women to give back their diamond rings to some fund for the mining miners in South Africa that are greatly impoverished, and I thought this would be a good way, you know, if you to, to schluff your bad husband and say, hey, you know, let's, let's uh, do uh, retributions and stuff. So that's why I wrote this poem. And then I wrote another poem um, for Haiti because I love, I love their successful slave rebellion, the Britons and Napoleon, and, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, the Armenian slave brides, you know, they, they couldn't have a revolt. You know, they're in the middle of the desert. There's nowhere to run to, to organize, to hide. And, um, you know, the Turks just captured so many women and uh, and so many children, and, and they were just awful. But so, but when I found out what happened in Haiti, I, I immediately wanted, you know, the Armenians had had an earthquake in Gumri, and uh, my friend was buried under the rocks for three days so um, before she was rescued. So we knew a lot about earthquake rescue stuff, but the Haiti wouldn't take us because Israel you know, moved in first. Anyway, I wrote this poem for um, the Haitians. It goes like this. Quivering fingers, quivering fingers are a sign of life stretching out from the concrete coffins pressing on my breasts. Come closer. Breathe your caring into me so I can inhale the sunrise. Mother Earth is also suffering under millions of tons of real estate developers rape concrete. She is crackling, exploding, tumbling, changing into infinite particles in an infinite universe. Inside my eyelids, oceans roar. I am sailing on a raft of my bones. In the choppy seas are 240,000 Haitian bone rafts sunk by the middle passage the yearning, churning, crashing on the shores of the motherland, while the unnatural disasters of the colonizers, slavery, genocide, and poverty continue. 
In an instant, your life can change for the worse. In an instant, your life can change for the better. Ayi bobo, ayiti. Hail to the spirits. Anyway, that's... Beautiful. Thank you for live poetry in the studio. <laughs> well, I, you know, the thing is, um, I have to do it again. But anyway, I'm just trying to show you how I was trying to do solidarity with other um, freedom struggles. And like I did with the American A movement, I went to um, Big Mountain uh, with the Navajo because when they were all, the grandmothers were arrested after they were cutting the first fence put up on their land. They asked for volunteers to help herd sheep, so I, I went there. And and I and I am always trying to, to, to you Contribute. know. Contribute. No, just to show how we're all in the same struggle and we should never have selective empathy. And so right now I feel bad there, you know, I totally support Palestine, even though Hamas and Hezbollah supports Azerbaijan. You know, I support the Palestinian struggle. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, actually, that Anoush uh, pointed out to me in preparation for the show, which is there's so much talk, obviously, about the, the Israel-Palestine conflict, but where does the state of Israel and Hamas coincide? Where are they in agreement? And apparently they both support the Armenian genocide. Hamas has... Uh, congratulated Azerbaijan for annexing territory and for their violent incursion into Armenia, and they don't have a problem with the fact that they've done so with Israeli weapons. That's right. Paid for by my U.S. taxpayers' money. And I'm tired of um, supporting these dictators and murderers and thieves. And so my friend said to me, well, call up the War Registers League and see if your taxes can not go to these people. So that's what I'm doing, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so I also want to shout out before we forget, there's something very special happening here today. We have um, a video crew in the studio. I want to shout out A3 Digital Media is actually providing a video document of this discussion because we have the pleasure of having an in-studio guest, which doesn't happen usually, but um, the timing worked out great that I have a friend here in the studio and we have a young, talented film crew that's here documenting this. So hopefully we'll have some, uh, some video footage of the baseline in circulation soon. And I want to thank you guys so much for supporting this show. Our last episode featuring the great Mark Crispin Miller is the most downloaded episode in the history of the baseline. It was downloaded over a thousand times in less than 24 hours. It's now been downloaded over 2000 times. And, um, it's just a wonderful thing. I immediately felt a, uh, uh, an elevating feeling when Mark Crispin Miller shouted out our interview on his Substack, and I also got several new Substack subscribers, which I greatly, greatly appreciate. We're inching our way to 1,000 subs, and then maybe one day we'll have 10,000 and then 100,000, but I really appreciate all the support you guys have shown, and I'm going to ask for more support because we have great conversations here every week, and it makes more sense for more people to hear these conversations rather than less. And I also am going to assure you that we have some incredible guests lined up for the next several weeks. We have Mary Tally Bowden, who's getting uh, people running for office all around the country. It's a growing list. She's a doctor who's at the head of the initiative to get people who are running for office to commit to 
requesting that mRNA vaccines are withdrawn from the market. And uh, for people who think, oh, well, that's yesterday's news. By, by no means is it yesterday's news. This is a growing daily initiative with more and more elected officials and people running for office signing on to this, uh, this petition, basically. So we have Mary Tally Bowden coming up. We have um, Steph Zamorano, the great Steph Zamorano, uh, co-host of the Jimmy Dore Show, is going to be featured soon. And uh, I don't want to rattle off all my guests off the top of my head because I don't remember in order how they were appearing. But we have some great shows lined up. And we really appreciate your support in the form of going to my Substack, be a free or a paid subscriber. You can go to remotelearningchess.com. That's my business. Please sign up for a chess lesson. Sign up a young person in your family for a chess lesson. It's a great game to develop your mind. And um, by the way, I'm used to teaching people of all experience levels. So if you have never learned the rules of chess, I will teach you from scratch. I'm very patient and I have no problem with that. And that's a great means of supporting this show, which most certainly can use your support because we want to expand our audience and our reach. And uh, we also want this to be a self-sustaining venture where we can actually donate to the movement and make a monetary contribution to the movement based on our success here. And of course, I have two young children to feed and uh, we're in a very hostile economic environment here, which is New York City. But back to our discussion here, Anoush, can you take us into now the recent history of Azerbaijan? This is, it's, 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 this is an ongoing it's, atrocity. The, the Armenian genocide is continuing. Turkey and Azerbaijan uh, want to just delete all Armenian existence in the area and steal all of our land. And no, I'm what, sorry to interrupt you, but can you clarify a little bit, because we discussed this beforehand, a bit of the relationship between Turkey and Azerbaijan? Okay, they, they um, are part of, uh, I, I wouldn't say a Muslim brotherhood, but they have that thing where they, they support each other and they feel it's a holy jihad against Armenia. Uh, that has been said, and it's also, but it's really mainly an economic land theft of all our minerals. Um, so, and they want to have a corridor between Azerbaijan and Turkey. And uh, Armenian, southern Armenian land stands in our way, and they've been threatening to take it. So taking Artsakh was the first step in letting the world know that they weren't doing anything. So what happened is the people of Artsakh, we had our 30 years of independence. In 2020, Azerbaijan attacked us um, with uh, Israeli killer drones, Turkish F-16 bombers, and took two-thirds of Artsakh, um, which is right next door to Iran, so that they could build them airports. So when they want to attack Iran, they can. And uh, and then, um, you know, people were you know, always living in fear because uh, when they had to sign a, like a fake treaty in which puts the Azeris right next door to Armenians and they had to, to be shooting, Azeris were shooting Armenians while they were gardening, you know, just terrorizing them in every way. And so then the the most awful recent thing that happened was in, um, uh, in September uh, 29th, the... Um, Massive bombing of Artsakh by Azerbaijan, you know, surprise attack, and and it was so intense, 
and and they also started um, burning Armenians. You know, they they blew up the gas depot. Two hundred burnt Armenians. They burnt kids in the school. They 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 were raping and terrorizing. And uh, the Russian peacekeepers weren't able to do anything. And 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 then they. This is after a blockade, an eight to ninth month blockade of. Um, uh, art socks so that no food or medicine was allowed in and we protested to the UN to every single human rights groups and nobody did anything they were only deeply concerned and then you realize that all these organizations are just getting paid for what if they can't protect indigenous people right, they call it the nonprofit industrial complex <laughs> yeah so so then Azerbaijan um, just forced the Artsakh government to surrender and, and to delete the, the independent Republic of Artsakh that I'm wounded for, that my friends died for, and 55,000 Armenians died for Artsakh. And Artsakh was, was you know, oh my God. I, you know, I have to say that um, I had no idea, you know, that I had an Armenian homeland, and, and I ended up in the best part of it during a war. And, and, and you know, everybody in that war was really helping each other. And it, it wasn't as if it was like, um, you know, a robotic war where you press buttons and people are killed. This is like, you know, the nitty-gritty face-to-face. And, and all those people and all that effort— and just by some forced treaty, you know, that uh, it's the Republic of Artsakh is gone. We're not allowed to flag, fly our flag in, um, you know, Armenia is the PM of Armenia, Nicole Pashinian, is like a complete traitor. He's in cahoots like the CIA came and I guess got to him. And, and they're supporting Turkey and Azerbaijan and all these sneaky ways dealing more and more of it. Oh, yeah, I think we want eight villages over here, and we're using this ancient map, uh, you know, reconstruction map. And, oh, yeah, we need this, these roads, and uh, goodbye, and, and all the, you know, of course, they waited until we poured a lot of money to build up the thing before they took it, and now they have it. And I'm in such pain. I'm in pain that no one is talking about the deletion of a whole independent republic, just like that. And uh, and and it's all on selective empathy. Palestine, Palestine, Palestine. So in my heart, you know, I'm always mentioning little her indigenous struggles around the world. You know, these Brazilians. You know, those Ecuadorians. You know, people in the forests and the rivers that are are being targeted by loggers and miners and and being killed. And and nobody's paying attention. So I ask everybody who is going on these Palestinian marches, please look up different, you know, genocides in the world. There's a big one in the Congo. How come you aren't marching for the Congo? How come you aren't marching for Sudan? Why is it always this place? I mean, we know that, you know, I mean, thank God there's, you know, Jews to support uh, Palestine, but I wish there was a Zeris to support Artsakh, but there aren't, there aren't. And, and but so as progressive people, we need to have a map of, of uh, genocides around the world and because, because the invaders have maps of where every, all our molybdenum and gold and whatever they want, they have those maps and, and they are, there's nothing stopping them. Yeah, on the subject of the Congo, I find it really disturbing that I don't know how many years ago it was, but I remember hearing about the mining of coltan, which is in all of our little technological devices. That Isn't are just, it cobalt? 
Uh, maybe that as well. But okay. there's also something called coltan, mm-hmm. which I think is uh, unique to Congo. And they just have this just horrendous mining, this brutal mining going on with mm-hmm. women working 15 hours or a day, probably more, with children on their backs, just you know, sucking in fumes and, and debris. And I mean, there, there's some uh, some images I've seen from this. That it's just it's horrifying. But we've been saying the same thing. First, it was unknown that that was happening, and now that it's known, it's just like well. You know, that's how it is in Africa. They just have a rough life over there and sort of a, a too bad for them sort of attitude. Well, what are we going to do about this? We know this is going on. Why are we not demanding an end to this? So, yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I think um, we need to make a, a, a world map that identifies, like I was saying, the hell on earth locations, people whose rights are being violated, places where the brutality is continual and we need to demand an end to all of this. And I don't want to accept this idea that the world is always going to be that way. Well, it's only going to be that way if we accept it. But if we put an end to it, it will not be that way any longer. It will be a better world. Okay, so the colonial Azerbaijan has uh, changed the name. Instead of Artsakh, it's now called Nagorno-Karabakh. So whenever you see that on a map, please write Artsakh in parentheses and also realize how many political prisoners we have in Azeri jails, just normal people um, defending their homes are cons- were considered terrorists. In fact, if you look at the, the, the word uh, manipulation of Azeris, they call Artsakh a separatist terrorist nation. But we're the indigenous people defending our ancient lands. How could we be separatists? They, they do these things to, to make themselves look good. They've invented this total phony country called Western Azerbaijan. To, to, so when they move and occupy our homes, they say, oh, yeah, we always had this. And so we have to be very careful of um, you know, these these weapon these weaponized uh fake news things and also you know how can you support armenian political prisoners we have to realize that the the red cross you know is trying to deal with them but the azeris won't tell how many there are and and what's really bad is in in uh, last september when they bombed and everything and and women and children were trying to run away they had kidnapped women, and their their pictures are on the internet. That the Azeris are bidding on them, but it's a, and it's it's just like oh modern my God. slavery. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's slavery. We can't we can't find out where they are. We can't get them. There's so many missing Armenians from all these attacks by Azerbaijan over the years. You know, we don't know where they are. And and the main thing is is not to let Artsakh just die. Uh, a colonial erasure without anybody doing anything. Right. You know, please invite me to, if there's panels on different um, subjects like um, imperialism, fighting colonialism, you know, women in war, uh, wherever you have something, try and include little-known freedom struggles that never get any attention. And, and this is a responsibility of all these people putting on conferences who have, you know, newspapers. Um, I called up wor- Workers World and said, can I write something about Armenia? Oh, well, we have Palestine, you know, there's no room for Armenia. And I'm like, you know, we can't have this ongoing selective empathy for every, everything. It's, it's, it's very divisive. 
and it's it's very, it, it helps white supremacists take over the world because um, there's you know all that spiritual power of ununited things is 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 Dormant. just what they want. Just what they want. So please, um, Armenian political prisoners. Uh, a place I really recommend for good information is the Center for Truth and Justice. You got that, guys? The Center for Truth and Justice. Look into that. How can people get in touch with you if they would like you to speak or they would like you to forward some of this information that you have? <laughs> okay, well, I love Instagram. I have an Instagram yeah. account. A noosh yeah, for does. justice. A noosh for justice. Look that up on Instagram. It's a, it's an awesome Instagram account. I'm actually on Instagram too. I never mentioned that it's, Jeremiah Hosea. So follow so, us both, please. So the way you spell Anoush is A N O U S H F O R J U S T I C E, and in um, in Armenian mythology, Anoush was a dragon mother. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the year of the dragon. So I hope that um, people will call me and ask how they can help Artsakh because there's a lot of displaced Artsakh people and the government of Armenia is against Artsakh because it's U.S.-based, CIA, and they, they just want you know to get rid of the mention of the Turks committing genocide in Armenian textbooks. They're trying to like say, you can't even mention Ararat, our, our, our sacred mountain, because they say, oh, it's not ours. It's, on, you know, it's a conquered Ararat, but it's still ours. And um, this whole erasure of everything, and, and, it's, and it's not only you know, stealing our land and murdering us, it's bringing in other people like, you know, they fill our capital with, you know, different other nationalities that have money to buy off our apartments from Armenians that have been living there for a long time. There's no rent control. So so, so they're doing um, cultural genocide by just moving in all these people. So we're forced, we can't even afford to live in our own homeland. And, and we have to be aware that... Um, you know, indigenous peoples, we have a, a brilliant Bill of Rights. I suggest you read the Indigenous Bill of Rights. And I also want to honor that we're on Lenape land right here mm -hmm. and um, honor and remember whose land we're on. Because, um, you know, even though <sighs> we had to flee terrorism, we're still on somebody's land that also had to endure terrorism and is ongoing. This Armenian genocide is ongoing. The next thing they want to do is take Sunik. And that's where our famous um, stone lithic uh, observatory is, Karahunj. And, and they already have troops lined up to take Sunik. And who is going to stop them? Nobody stopped the blockade in Artsakh. Nobody stopped deleting Artsakh. And now they... they the Erdogan just said, oh, all this land is really Turkish. It's not even Armenian because they want Lake Sivan because they don't have enough water. And, and who's going to stop them? The UN is... It's is, basically just might makes right. Yeah. And uh, is, that, is that what I dedicated my life to, to stopping this genocide that has just gotten worse and worse? Yeah. I just got a text message in our information group. Uh, cftjustice.org that's Center for Truth and Justice go to www.cftjustice.org tell them you heard about them on the baseline and you want to get involved 
And we're reaching the uh, the end of our program. We still have a little bit of time, but we want to prepare because, uh, you know, it's so uh, bittersweet when the show is over. We completed another great episode, but, you know, it never feels like quite enough, that one hour that we get. So I would like to take calls if we have anyone who has questions. Oh, we can't take calls today? Oh, no, we don't have any calls yet. I'm, I'm just saying I would like to. Of course we don't have calls. I didn't announce it. <laughs> but I'm saying if you'd like to take uh, take the time to talk to us, just call 888-874-4888. We'd love to hear from you, 888-874-4888. This is a community radio show. If you have a question for Anoush, um, please feel free to call and ask as we're all being educated here about the Armenian genocide. But in the meantime, Anoush, can you tell us what has the U.S. role been in all of this? I, I looked up on Google that they vaguely said, oh, the, the U.S. supports Armenia, but they fund Turkey and have funded okay, Turkey massively you, for years. I know US, that. I just want to mention quickly one thing I do know about Turkey. I've been there once, actually. My first ever international gig was in Istanbul with the great James Blood Ulmer beautiful city um a very interesting place but one thing that's fascinating is that their leader erdogan is an ottoman revanchist he gives these passionate speeches about turkey returning to the days of the ottoman empire and i've seen some images actually just right before we went on the air i saw some brutal images of armenian doctors being hanged off the side of a bridge and uh, that's what was going on during the Ottoman Empire. So that's what Erdogan wants to bring back. So the U.S. is again playing the double agent, uh, patting Armenia on the head while supporting the genociders. Well, as I said before, the CIA in America has gone to so many countries and stifled their revolutions. Are, are we number 18, you know? And so they, they chose Armenia because it, it's this time where it's a computer age, and we have molybdenum, which, you know, uh, is very valuable. And, and so they, the America has um, actually helped destroy Artsakh, and, um, it, and, and, and Armenia is in very bad shape because um, the Turks are greatly outnumber us, and America did not come to the aid of Artsakh or acknowledge our, the, the existence of Artsakh. They, they, they enabled uh, the silence to, the, to continue the blockade and to con continue the murdering and theft of Armenian land and people. And so the United States is, you know, I, it's, it's actually a war country. It's never existed without war and murder and killing of indigenous peoples somewhere. So... It is a matter of historical fact, guys. Yeah, like it's yeah. not a, it's not America bashing. It's just a basic recognition yeah, of history. Yeah, and 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 the war industries that I was talking about thirty years ago, you know, Lockheed, Raytheon, they they they're all you know making a lot of money off of that invasion of Artsakh and stealing our our precious, beautiful. Mm, I miss you so much, mm -hmm. and 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 you know, uh, so so these are like the zombies, you know, that that don't have a soul and and just can marauding the earth yeah it's and it's not only it's not only that you know all the chemicals of these bombs you know they don't talk about bombing Artsakh you know they talk about bombing bombing Palestine but Artsakh was just like you know boop 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 goodbye goodbye 
and we can't let it. We can't let them. We can't let them wipe us off the map. Wherever you see a map, you know, just find out where Artsakh is and write it in. Or just Xerox maps with Artsakh and, and pass them out. Or put, you know, um, every there's so many struggles that need this kind of visibility. And I ask you to help. Thank you. So we have Christopher from Brooklyn on the line. And uh, we'd like to welcome him to the PRN Airwaves. Thanks for calling the baseline, Christopher. How are you today? I'm um, well, thank you, uh, Joe. I appreciate your program. Basically, I'm just calling to say that. Um, thank you for having these programs. Thank you for having the uh, guest on. Very informative information. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, there's so many ways you can support this program, guys. Uh, you can uh, buy a chess lesson, like I said. You could subscribe to my Substack. You can follow me on Twitter. I mean, as simple as that is, I'd actually really appreciate it because I'm severely shadow banned and I'm meeting most of these great guests on Twitter. So if you can follow up and say to our guests, hey, I heard you on the baseline. I appreciate what you said. That gives a little vote of confidence to this show because they're trying to make it seem like we're not doing important stuff by making us invisible. I mean, literally, I interviewed Dr. Merrill Nass. I shared the uh, link to our discussion. She retweeted it. She has 70, not 75, sorry, she has 25,000 followers, and I'm the only one who liked it. I don't believe that. Everything else that she tweets gets hundreds and hundreds of likes. Um, any number of other examples like that. There's this weird effect that I noticed that there's always like some um, anonymous woman um, who who says, you know, oh, I want to go on a date. I'm lonely. It's a fake bot. It's not a real person. But that, I call that the kiss of death because I make a comment. It always gets liked by this fake person, and then it seems like the comment is invisible. I also notice that I have to re-like tweets that I've already liked because I think they're making some of the bigger names in our movement also semi-invisible, where they'll make us a little, a puppy like me will be totally invisible, but some of the big dogs in the movement like Steve Kirsch, or um, Dr. Jessica Rose, their tweets will only get hundreds of likes where I think they would get thousands if they weren't shadow banned. So you can actually support this show on Twitter and um, jump in there and do some real like, you know, digital media activism. We don't want to replace, in, you know, interpersonal real life connection between people. We're not about that. But there, there are things that can be accomplished in the digital realm. Uh, we have another caller. We have Gino from the Bronx on the line. How are you doing today, Gino? Good to hear from you. Jeremiah, good day. Good day. I just want to say thanks for having her on. I know she's been through a lot of tragedy in her family, and she's witnessed a lot. And uh, like Dr. King said, truth crushed to earth will rise again, that she's got the spirit to still come up and speak up. I know she got a creative spirit. The poetry, I don't want to stay on too long. I want to make a point because the time is almost over in six minutes. If you could do another poem, and also, have you tried to get in touch with the Kardashians who are from Armenia with the... Uh, yeah, we were talking about that have, before the show. Yeah, the, the Kardashians have been no-shows in general. And what would you say in general, Anoush, has, is there any... I, I would say the Kardashians are di a disgrace to womankind, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and 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 I and I really resent the way Kim exploits her uh, uh, half Armenianness, and uh, I I think her father, you know, would 
I, 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 it's, it's just terrible that she is considered one of the most famous Armenian w- women in the world. When in Artsakh, we have Siranush Arishanian, who at the age of, you know, with white hair and stuff, took up arms to go and fight with the soldiers. And they said, oh, you're just a woman knit socks. No, no I'm not knitting socks. Give me a gun. And, <laughs> and so, so she, she, she saved so many lives. We have uh, Marguerite Sarkissian, who was a sniper. And, um, you know, she would wait for days in the trees for the Azeris to come and attack the village. And she, out of, you know, like 300 bullets, 287 met their mark, and, and she was this incredible woman. I felt so proud to stand next to her. And these are the Armenian women that we have to honor and publicize and know about, not some fake... Uh, uh. Okay, so that door didn't open. So I know with a few minutes left, could you... I think you got a gift for the arts. That's your, that's your weapon, the poetry... And the speaking, but can you do another poem before the show ends? And sure, they continue I, you doing I another poem. I, I I did happen to bring my whole poetry folder. It's in a green, <laughs> a green. Uh, uh, I love the way you you speak your poetry. It's very passionate, and I can tell you really go fly with it. So please use that gift more often. And uh, Jeremiah, maybe we could get on the the film before the show ends. Even if the show ends, maybe just still film her for some poems. And thank you for having her on. She's not known, and you gave that democratic spirit to a regular folk out there who's speaking up with her conscience. Thank you for noticing that, Gino. Thank you for noticing that. There's a lot of stars amongst us, guys. I, I really love that line by the great bass player Larry Graham where he says, Everybody is a star. Your shine's just different than mine. And I really live like that. I believe every person has a valid story to tell, has something to share. Some people are more well-spoken than others. Some people are more educated than others. Some people are taller than others. It's all, it's all good. Everyone should get a Absolutely. voice, and everyone deserves their basic human Absolutely. dignity. So we do have uh, a poem lined up, and we are running out of time. We have like two minutes, one minute. All right, great. I'm going to hang up, and I look okay. forward to Steph. She's a good soul, too. Oh, Thanks. yeah, yeah. We have a great guest lined up, and we're going to close out today's show right. with a poem. Right, okay, thanks. this poem is um, called The Agony of Azeri Sadis. And what happened is during the 44-day war, the Azeris had invaded Armenia and killed these women soldiers and mutilated their bodies to scare people to not serve. So this poem is to uh, honor them. Azeris are afraid of you, fierce Armenian female sniper, defending your ancient Armenian homeland from Azeri evasion, Azeri rapists and murderers captured and mutilated you. Put your cut-off finger in your mouth. Now the Azeris are more afraid of your corpse, which is eternally firing at them. Azeris gouged out your eyes and put stones in them. But Armenian stones can radiate indigenous volcanic strength and survival. Azeris spent time cutting off your legs to discourage other Armenian women to fight back. But we are coming in waves of liberation, pouring out from our starbirth energy, embracing you in our hearts. Beautiful. Well, with that, we will conclude this episode of The Baseline. I want to thank Anoush 
Tertullian for joining me today. And uh, I want to thank all of you guys for listening. Download these episodes, share these episodes, and reach out to your friends and, and give a little personal vote of confidence to what we're doing here because, yes, we're trying to grow this audience on a weekly basis to expand this conversation so we can make a difference. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Jeremiah, for being, for just being who you are, available, informative, uh, answering questions, and, and I love you. I love you, too. Appreciate that.